This is Marketing Smarts, a podcast committed to helping you become a savvier marketing leader, no matter your level. In each episode, we will dive into a relevant topic or challenge that marketing leaders are currently facing. We will also give you practical tools and applications that will help you put what you learn into practice today. And if you missed anything, don't worry. We put worksheets on our website that summarize the key points. Now, let's get to it. Welcome to Marketing Smarts. I am Ann Candido. And I am April Martini. And today we're going to talk about how to create sales funnels that convert. So converting leads is probably one of the biggest challenges businesses have. And if you've been on your LinkedIn or your email today, you've probably already gotten many cold calls from an agency who claims they can generate hundreds and thousands and ten thousands of leads, you know, <laughs> and that might be great. But if you don't know what to go do with them and you can't quickly pull them into your funnel and get them qualified, then it's kind of all useless. And then on top of that, once you actually get them in the funnel, you actually want to keep them in the funnel, get them down to make a purchase and then actually make them repurchase. So it's all a process. Yes, exactly. It is a process. And just because you may not have been paying attention to it, it doesn't mean it's not there. In that case, it's just operating as a default. And it's really like we, what we say about personal brand, which is if you don't define it, someone else is going to define it for you, which means your funnel may not be operating as efficiently or as effectively or both as it could be. And honestly, this applies both to B2C and B2B. The philosophy is really similar, even if what you're selling is completely different. So we'll have broad application on this episode today. Yep. And uh, for this topic, we're bringing in a special guest, Alicia Conlon Heard. She's a co-founder of Persuasion Experience, and we're happy to have her here. And Alicia, why don't you uh, introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about you? Okay, I'll give the uh, the brief origin story. So thank you for having me um, in April. So basically, my career has been in sales and digital marketing. And where I started was very much in sales funnels. So I've done SEO. I've got some yellow page links. If you're in Australia, you know, that's basically just a business listing on a crappy website. But where I, <laughs> so don't, don't come to me for SEO, but at Persuasion Experience, we exclusively focus on the post-click experience. And we focus on the psychology behind why somebody buys from you. So during my career, I've built over 450, getting close to 500 landing pages and funnels. Phew. And, a, and a, yeah, everything from Brazilian butt lift doctors and porn <laughs> addiction counselors. I've worked with male strippers all the way to big home builders, big banks, you know, in persuasion experience. We've worked with like Linktree and Wayfly, a big billion dollar tech companies. But it doesn't matter if you're a mum and pop or if you're a billion dollar brand, you have to be customer obsessed. And so what we do is come in and we use consumer insights and research to understand why someone buys from you. And then we translate that into strategy and execute it into funnels that can persuade them at scale. So there's the somewhat fast origin story and rundown. No, I love it. And I think that's the first time I've heard a stripper business being called a mama pop shop. Yeah. Well, I don't know if that one's the moment. No, he, was, he was he was more of a pop, like just the pop on his own. Fair enough, fair enough. Thanks for the clarification. <laughs> um, all right, so awesome. Let's get into how to create sales funnels that convert. So the very first point is don't let the data overshadow the fact that your consumers, your customers, your clients are humans first. And we use this point quite often because in this world of digital marketing and funnel conversion, it's something that people tend to forget. 
especially when they get so obsessed with traffic numbers. And I think that's the thing that when I was in the intro was alluding to when you talk about hundreds and thousands and tens of thousands of leads, you start to fall in love and get really romanticized about the number of people you're pulling into your funnel. But the reality of the situation is, is when you're just going to treat people like numbers on spreadsheets, you're going to have a really, really, really hard time pulling them down the funnel. And that's because we aren't robots. And I say this all the time, until the world is run by robots, there's going to be a person on the other side of the sale. And if you refuse to create a relationship with that person, you're not going to create all those brand love connections you need, those relationships you need, those emotional connections you need in order to pull people down the funnel. And also the big mistake a lot of people make when they fall in love with all these lead gen numbers is that they believe that they only need that. Like they need the one engagement. That's all I need. I just need to get to them once and then I'm going to be able to convert them. And that's not really the case. Usually it takes five to seven times to basically surround that person or that customer or whoever your target is in order for them to really like fall in love with your brand in order for them to really realize, hey, maybe this is something that I want. And this is not your Google ads at high frequency, just like banging down the door. This is really courting them just like you would in any relationship. So if you're thinking about how you're supposed to really question or questions you might be asking yourself in order to think about how do I actually kind of build these relationships or find out how to make those connections, I'm going to give you a few and then I'm going to ask Alicia to build here because she has a lot of really good information on this. So first is what angst does your target feel that you can help to solve? And this is the emotional need. This is not just your product service benefit need, right? This is how you create those emotional connections, those relationships, again, to pull people down the funnel that makes them feel like you're there for them. You also want to think about what questions they're going to have. Where will they be skeptical? Where will they need to be nudged a little bit? This involves getting into the heads of your target and thinking like they do. This is how you can be proactive and anticipating where they might have little hiccups along the way. You want to figure out how you can personalize your communication so they know you are talking to them. Sometimes we feel like we need to be very broad in order to capture a wide audience, but what really happens is that people don't know you're really talking to them because you haven't related to them in a level they really understand or appreciate. And then you want to understand when and where they spend their time so you can figure out where you need to engage them. If you make it too hard for these people, they are not going to want to engage with you. Your ability to close a lead is exponential to the amount of work that they have to go do. So I'm going to stop talking for a second. Alicia, I know you're the expert here, so I'm going to ask you to build and, and, and add in all these other really great nuances you have for how you get people from point A to point B. Yeah. And the first place to start is one, understanding your target market, right? And we're all on the same page there. And the way to do that is to talk to them. And that's what a lot of businesses don't do. Like I will work with CEOs or founders or marketing managers. And I'll say, how many clients can you name? 10, 50, 100? Because that's how many you should be able to name and understand them. And, And having a really clear whether it's an ICP or a target market avatar. So that's the place to start. It's a bit unsexy, I think, for people. So people don't do it or, or they'll say, yeah, it's it's uh, businesses with 40 employees that are making 2 million. That's not, <laughs> that's that's facts, right? Like that's not like what keeps me up at night or what pain points are, am I having? And so the most important thing for businesses to realize is we don't sell a product or a service. We sell entry into a desired after state. Trust me when I say nobody wakes up in the morning and wants a funnel. Like no one's like, gee whiz, 
everybody wants traffic. <laughs> traffic people eat first. That's what we say <laughs> in, in, the, in the conversion world. And no one's like, oh, I really want to spend 40 grand on a funnel, but they need to because as you <laughs> said, you have one by default, right? And your funnel's just every touch point somebody has with your brand and all those touch points leak revenue. So one of the first things we work with our clients on is just this one question. What are you really selling? And what happens is you can start to take your marketing away from being a big feature spew of this is about us, me, 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 look at us, this is how great we are. And you start to connect that and contextualize the benefits of what you actually do and contextualize it into the lives of your target market and actually make it make sense where it's like, oh, that is where I want to go. And you are just a vehicle to get there. And you're one of many. And for most people, they think that they have all these competitors, right? But really like your main competitor is inertia or the old school way of doing anything, especially with the tech companies we work with. Like usually when you're motivating someone, it's like not, hey, work with me because I'm better than this coach. It's like, actually, you've heard horror stories about coaches and you probably don't think it's worth it. Here's the motivation or the persuasion to knock you out of your inertia, which just means you don't take any action effectively. So yeah, that, that's how I would build on that. I love that. Yeah, I mean, I think it is so important. And we talk often about not forcing your narrative down the consumer's throat, but thinking about what yeah. they actually want to hear from you and what matters to them. And I think the point you just made is huge because I do think so often companies are talking to themselves or their competition. I mean, we mm -hmm. had this situation locally with healthcare marketing um, here in Cincinnati, and I see it nationally too, of where they're you know, boasting on their awards and their accolades and we have the best physician that does X, Y, and Z. And meanwhile, the consumer's like, I have no idea what right. that means to me, right? So I think your point is so well taken around this idea of like, what actually is the competition versus what is the pain point? What is the consumer facing that they're like, to the point, like keeping you up at night? What are those things? And I think that the reason that people don't do this work is because it seems so hard, right? And it seems like you have to invest a lot of time. And it's like, I'm in my business every day. So of course I know who's who I'm serving. And a lot of what I was hearing you guys saying is it's really the difference between qual and quant or psychographic and demographic, right? So when you say something like, oh, it's, you know, this business that has this 40 people and makes however many millions of dollars, those are the demographics. They have nothing to do with the actual people on the other end of what you're trying to do. And so I think that's why this whole conversation is so important. It's about doing the right funnel work, not just filling the quote unquote funnel with what you think you're prospecting against. Exactly. And it's foundational, right? So when I work with businesses and I feel like I can say this because I've probably seen under the hood of about 500 and pretty intimately for a lot of them, I've worked in a lot of agencies and what they want to do is like split test button color and stuff like yes. that. But yeah, imagine yes. that you're trying to, oh man, I've slapped about, you know, not literally, but pretty close. Some people that just want to go and start <laughs> split testing stuff. But <laughs> As I feel like any marketer can relate to that. But the problem is, imagine trying to build a house on sand and you just put up a few like pillars, obviously never built a house, but stay with me. You put up a few beams <laughs> and then it just keeps sinking, right? Well, that's what happens when like you don't do these core things, these core foundations in your marketing. And then you're just trying to improve things. Oh, we're going to run more ads. Oh, we're going to start Twitter account. Oh, we're going to make a, a lead gen funnel. But you don't understand your target market, your messaging, 
your positioning and the often forgot, like the irrefutable third-party proof, your social proof to back up all of these claims. And so one of the first things we'll do, especially in big companies, is when we're onboarding a client, is get them to go and ask three people from different departments in the company, who do you serve, what do you do, and what are the results you get? And tell me the three poster children of your of your company and we'll get wildly different answers. And so what happens at the head, the CEO or the founder, the person who's been in it forever, right? Is like, no, no, everyone knows we serve these people, we do this. And what we see is sales say one thing, marketing say another, customer support say another, and actually nobody's on the same page, which means that nothing's congruent that's going out in your messaging and your communication. And so what happens is people just start to blindly follow their competition and it just dissolves into this same, same boringness in their marketing. And really it all starts with like what you were saying earlier, like going into their head, you got to understand the buyer's journey and be able to enter the conversation that they're having. And so, yeah, that's just kind of like what I see when I'm coming into these companies. I usually just say like, you need to build those foundations. And that's, that's the first thing we do, but all these podcasts and you know, 2023 hack. So like, here's the silver bullet, do this. And people get caught up on these shiny things. And I'm like the most boring marketer. I'm like, g'day, we're making you a target market avatar today. I'm not even talking to you about the tech until we've got your psychology sorted out of who we're going after. Tech's just an amplifier. I love the discipline. And I love the element of the very, very first question, which is the fundamental question of what do you sell? And that's the foundation for exactly how we start every branding conversation too, because a lot of times that gets out of the commoditized thinking of I sell a product, I sell this thing, or I sell this service, which is really what you're selling. If you want to actually pull people down the funnel is you want to sell them that feeling that they're going to have as a result of working with you or as a result of, of buying your product. And that is where you get that emotional connection. That's where you build that brand love. And that's what keeps people in your funnel. So I, I love that you said that because I think then everything really kind of cascades down from that. So our second point for how to create sales funnels that convert is to be mindful where and how to use automation, All right? So you just alluded to this, Alicia, there's so many tools, there's so much tech to automate or to execute, right? And I think we're seeing people become very, very reliant and overly reliant on that. And they don't pay enough attention to how it's being received or how it's being used. And it starts to sound really, really tone deaf to the people that are receiving it. And specifically, I'm gonna pick on one element of what we've been seeing a lot lately, because it seems to be a big tool that people are using to actually try to perpetuate their funnels. And that's drip marketing campaigns, especially email drip marketing campaigns. And I feel like with this, it can become a very lazy approach for the marketing. So there's one thing about being like, I love your analogy. Um, I, I love analogies of using like the pillars and, and really establishing your foundation in a really, really solid way. A lot of people are going to jump and they jump to these tools very, very quickly without really being mindful and intentional about how they're being used. So I'll use a personal example. And I've just been getting this lately is this person who keeps reaching out to me saying that they want to connect me with other marketers um, in order to help my small business. And I'm like, did you even take two seconds, even like look at what my small business is? Because if you did, you would see we're a marketing and branding agency and you're really barking up the wrong tree. So it's one of those things where people start to become very, very lazy. And there's other big mistakes I think people are making too. And I'm gonna go through a few of these and I'm gonna ask you guys to kind of jump in on some of the other things that you're seeing across the board. 
But one is being overly familiar or too vulnerable and was obviously a mass outreach. Uh, I see a lot of influencers do this who are trying to get you to relate to them in a way of like, hey, we're buddies, we're pals, we're friends, right? I know what you're going through. You know what I'm going through. Don't you want me to coach you? Don't you want me to give you all of these like virtual learning modules? And don't you want to pay thousands and thousands of dollars for that, right? Right? So that's one thing that I feel like it's, it's starting to lose a lot of its appeal because of its inauthenticity. Pretending like you know everything about your audience, though you've never met, which is to that point, or the reverse is being too vague in that the target doesn't get you get them, which I mentioned earlier. Uh, implying the results others have experienced will be what you're going to experience even without knowing anything about me. Again, yeah, I'm going to connect you to a bunch of marketing agencies. I'm like, yeah, I mean, I am one. So that's not going to really do anything for me. Not sharing enough value to demonstrate credibility is, a, is another one. And that is, I think, probably one of the biggest mistakes that we're seeing in the in the, these email drip marketing campaigns is they just want you to connect with them, get on their calendar to have a meeting, a little quick consult, and they're going to share how the whole world revolves around its access, right? And you're like, we're going to be your, you know, your saving grace. Well, that's just never going to be the case. Um, offering them something they don't need, uh, case in point. And then like really simple things like, not having a really good footer, like for your, when you sign off on your name with some credible sources, your like website link. I mean, that's a big one that a lot of people are missing. Now we understand that there needs to be some level of automation, especially to get like people in and through the funnel. Like it's really hard to be managing that many people, especially at the very, very beginning of the funnel. But you really need to consider the tone for which you're engaging people at each stage and really being cognizant and mindful of the fact of where they are in their journey. Again, not just what you want them to go do at that moment in time in order to get them from, as you had said, you told me, Alicia, from crappy point A to desirable point B, <laughs> you know, in a the shortest period of time of possible because you just come off as being tone deaf. And the one way I think you can do this is really by thinking about adding incremental value or exponentially incrementing value every time you engage with somebody. Uh, in that way, you're providing them something so you can they can see and they can kind of vet you as it's going along versus like just trying to close the sale by just like spewing every single fact about you and just talking about yourself incessantly and hoping that they're just going to get basically worn down and eventually just going to sign up for a meeting just to get you to stop. But Alicia, what's your experience been here? How do you uh, help people navigate the automation part of this all? Yeah, and just to drive home the tech thing, like what I'll often say to clients is, what would be the point of buying a Lamborghini if you didn't know how to drive it, right? And it's the same thing when you go and get all this tech because 1,000 times zero is still zero. So it doesn't matter what tech you're using to Band-Aid. It doesn't matter. And so... With automation, that is the, a big benefit of having your funnel sorted out properly, right, and creating it properly because there's a lot of human error that doesn't need to happen in the acquisition, the sales process, and you can free up time for humans. But when you're automating it, you don't want it to feel like it's automated. But how do you find that, that balance, right? You want the balance of being efficient in the company without, as you said, being tone deaf or having crappy marketing that just gets lost in the noise. And so it's about finding that balance. And the first thing to do is understanding where somebody is in that buyer's journey and what conversation you're entering into that mind. So for anyone listening, you can just Google Eugene Schwartz's five levels of awareness. People go all the way from unaware to most aware, and there's five different levels. And then you just got to map out what are the different questions that they're having. And then, because when we're talking about funnels, 
there's an entry point, right? And that entry point is traffic. Each one of your traffics has a different temperature. I say temperature because they're either cold, warm, or hot. As an example, if you were doing Facebook marketing, like ads, typically that's a colder temperature of traffic. And you probably want to enter the conversation with something like a lead magnet or a more like valuable education to help nurture them through that buyer's journey. However, if you are on Google ads and someone's typing in best something near me, they're looking for an offer. They've already decided that's what they wanted. And so for a lot of people, they get really obsessed with these in-market leads and then they build their whole business around the 3% of people looking for them now. And so what automation does is you can find people earlier and build pipeline and nurture them down. Now, once you've established all of that, which is not super quick, but important, then you want to figure out your lead to sale time, right? So there's different purchasing lengths of time and it depends on the temperature of the traffic and it depends on typically the cost of what you do as well. Like, and that will gauge what is the lead to sale time. And then what you want to break down is all of the objections somebody is going to have. And what we've called in previously is like a magic lantern. So you want to pretend you have like a lantern and you're just guiding somebody down. And in that you should think what would be somebody's objection? Why wouldn't somebody go ahead with me? What would be their hesitations? And honestly, if you just make sure that marketing and your sales team actually have a feedback loop, your marketing team should know what that is and be breaking them down. And just to go on a very quick side note, I think a lot of marketing teams often forget the point of them is to provide high quality leads for the sales team. You know, if it's a lead gen keyword, high quality, it's not ticking a box and saying we got 10 leads, a hundred leads, a thousand leads. It's that these people are highly educated so that by the time they get to sales, that like the selling is superfluous. All the salesperson should be doing is basically diagnosing whether they should actually come on board with that company for a lot of companies. So when it comes to the automation, it's important, but if you haven't mapped out in, in the words, it's kind of like there's the strategy and then there's the execution. And I, I agree, like you should just ship, ship, analyze, adjust and keep that flywheel churning. But I say like, just take a couple of days to sharpen your axe before you swing it, right? So the automation, you can do that in Clavio or Active Campaign or any of those. All you do is you set up the flow you want them to go on, the decision diamonds, if they do this, then this, the triggers, and then that's it. But who cares? Because what goes in the emails? <laughs> like what's what's actually the copy in your emails? So yeah, that's a little bit more around that automation. Hopefully it answered your question. No, I think that was very helpful. Now I understand what you always meant by cold doors, which I never understood. With me? Yeah, we yeah. always say cold doors, but now Alicia explained it. So now I understand the temperature thing. Yeah, so I would talk about warm the door is I'm my like, analogy. Ah, yes. I never understood. Like, <laughs> I why would you warm the door? Why is a door cold? But you, yeah, yes, you now just I get it. that exact <laughs> terminology in a different context. So, but yeah, I mean, I, I think what we're talking about throughout this episode is going back to the whole human behavior piece of things. You know, I think people perceive it to be a really complex thing, but what we always say and what you said, Alicia, is about the testing and learning, right? And then just kind of adjusting as you go. And I think if folks can think about it through that lens and not get caught up in the vast number of ways to do this, or when we're mm -hmm. thinking about this point with automation, like, well, there's a million platforms I could be using, right? And then how do I know then what to do beyond that? I think you do have to break it down and then continue to always think about 
what is going to be the reasonable human response on the other side? Because I think what happens, and you know, you gave some great examples at the beginning, and and I think Alicia, you do a good job of being like, you know, the whole the analogy of the Lamborghini is perfect. It's like I can totally picture that. It's like put yourself in the shoes of what's happening. I also get really mad at these emails I get because number one they make no sense but number two i'm like how much time money energy etc are you wasting on putting these out there because not only are you not attracting me you're making me mad and one of the ones that just blows my mind recently is the email automation yes but it's automation on just like steroids. So I'll get a reach out from one person and within minutes, I'll get one that says, my coworker, blah, 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 just reached out, but I'm the manager, CEO, owner, blah, blah, blah. And I just felt compelled to on her, the heels of her email also reach out, right? So I'm just, it continually baffles me where if people would just take a step back and get less scared about the quote unquote hard work that goes into this and think more about what they're wasting on the other side of using automation in the wrong way, they'd be so much better off and they'd get there more quickly than I think they anticipate when you start to, to say, well, these are the, the sort of gates we need to put in place or the strategic foundational work we need to do first. Mm. The issue is, especially with all that cold outreach, is they don't come from a place of value, right? right yes. And so a lot of people forget that sales is servitude. We do cold we're starting to ramp up cold outreach. Our first 18 months was mainly referrals and strategic partnerships. We're going to layer in outbound and like not run any ads, right? Like I don't actually think we'll ever have to run ads. And I think our CPA will be lower than if we did run ads. But the way that we do it, it's it needs to have familiarity. So you need to be like, hey, I read this about you. Or I'm on your email yeah. list or I did this. And then it needs to be like, well, I'm actually working with... So, I'll just give a more specific example. We're going after tech startups that have probably been like recently funded. We're going to start in Australia. And I'm going to say, hey, I was um, looking at your, like I'm doing research for a competitor of yours. I came across your landing page, which is true. I see so many horrific landing pages every day. And <laughs> like I recently worked with Linktree and we got these results for them. I think I'm like genuinely confident that I can do this for you. Here's a quick two minute loom on what we did for Linktree and a couple of ways we could implement this on your landing page. So if they only ever watched that loom video, they would know what we did and like they would have some ideas. Making sure that it doesn't come from a place of critique though, because also you see a lot of people like, especially like, oh, I looked at your website, your SEO sucks. You need more SEO. And this is everything you're doing wrong. And that just puts up the barriers automatically, right? So I think with a lot of those, they're not coming from a place of value and they're not being like to the point, here's what we do, here's how it benefits you, here's the results. Because when you're doing cold outbound, you're going after the, in, you're trying to actually source your own in-market leads basically, right? Like you're not nurturing anyone. So you have to be really snappy about what you provide. Alicia, with that kind of approach, what success rate do you expect would you like instruct somebody to that they should expect to have? Like, would you expect like 5% of people to respond that you reach out to, 10% of the people to respond? Like when you do it really well, let me ask you maybe even if you have this even qualitatively in your head, if you, somebody does it really well versus somebody who doesn't do it so well, do you have any of that kind of data or perspective? Yeah, it depends on the list and the quality of the list and the size of the list. So we've done this for different clients. If we were going after CEOs, like really specifically, we would maybe not just do cold email. We might layer that in with the direct mail and LinkedIn retargeting, right? Like it depends on 
the list, but it also depends on what is that list worth to you. Sometimes where they're like, there's 20,000 of these companies, like we can afford to make some mistakes. But sometimes it's like there's 50 of these people that we service. And so that gauges like what you should do. And it also can affect the response rates because you'll put more effort into the research and you'll put more effort into getting it right because you have less chances to get it right. To answer your question, probably if you're just okay at it, you can expect two to 5% like bookings. And if I've seen it go up to like maybe 15%, if you're really, like, if you're really good at it, it's like a 15% conversion rate, which is good. Like if you had a landing page converting on Google ads at 15% and it all just comes back to the offer. Like people just scan this and go, so what, who cares what's in it for me? And it just comes back to what are you actually offering? If you're like, hey, talk with me, just just get on the phone, let's speak. And it's like, it just stinks like it's going to be a sales call, right? And you're going to have some like commission breath salesperson like <laughs> trying to force you into a sale. But if you're like, hey, I've worked with these people, let's jump on a call. I'm pretty sure I can help you. Worst case scenario, I'll give you this, something tangible, like we call it a growth game plan. I'll give you the growth game plan you can take it and run. That's fine. Like we want to lead with value. Best case scenario, we help you hit your goals quicker and crush X competitor because everyone hates their competitors. So yeah, that's, <laughs> it's always good to tap into that. Marketing Smarts is sponsored by scottmouts.com, S-C-O-T-T-M-A-U-T-Z.com. Scott Mouts is a popular keynote speaker and number one best-selling author whose latest book and talk, Leading from the Middle, helps middle managers dramatically increase their influence up, down, and across their organization. Want your company's middle managers and leaders equipped to foster a high-performing organization? Want them inspired to drive the change and transformation that's a challenging necessity moving forward? Then go to scottmouts.com to check out Leading from the Middle and all of Scott's keynotes, trainings, courses, and books. On a personal note, Marketing Smarts has worked with Scott as our business coach and found our own successful results, so we highly endorse him. Well, that is actually a really fantastic segue to the third point, which is make it easy for your target to say yes. And as you mentioned, if you did your job in understanding that your target is a human, then you should know by now they're process for actually wanting to get through the funnel and what their currency is. So if they're gotten to that point where it's like, just give me the offer, make it an irresistible offer. And don't just make it like the general offer that's going to cause them to have more work on their end. Your offer is supposed to have some element of lower risk, lower effort, so that it's very easy for your target to say yes to. And that also gives them something of value again, which is another point. If you haven't heard anything, you need to offer value when you're doing this in order to kind of carry people down the funnel. But that doesn't mean you can skip like the hard work of actually courting them, because I think a lot of people will go like, all right, I got your attention, you know, let me give you the offer right now and let me see if I can roll you in and let me see if I can hook you. It's like give, taking somebody out to a nice dinner and then expecting them to sleep with you that night, right? It's like <laughs> like on the first date. It's basically how it's like. So it's like- It needs to be to, a good dinner. It better be yeah. a really pretty <laughs> damn good dinner. Yeah. So like there's, there could be a lot of these different kinds of offers that you might make. So this could include everything from a free consult in a way that's like a highly valuable free consult. It's not like, hey, get on my calendar, let's talk. And like you said, it just sees of a sales call. Some sort of really good or deep discount or some sort of really compelling discount. A free sample is always a good way of trying to get people engaged. It also allows them to put their product in your hands and get feedback and hopefully get some maybe word of mouth around that. 
some sort of added value by bundling things together that, that sometimes can incentivize people a free gift like you said whether it's an actual tangible thing or some level of service that you're providing or maybe even like getting them into some sort of loyalty deal so if they if they get some sort of access that they wouldn't get normally that is another way that maybe you can incentivize people in and one way to manage this is always offer tiers. You can do this with products, services, or even in pitching work because it allows you to meet them where they are. So instead of it being a black and white or you know where it's like a yes or no thing, it's like, well, if this isn't you know quite what you want, we might be able to do it like this. And maybe that's something at a little bit lower budget, lower engagement, or maybe it's something on a higher end that they need. It's like, oh, well, you need more, then we can do more too. So it allows you to have more of a flexible conversation. But Alicia, I know you are like the expert at this i'm going to turn this over to you and, and allow you to give all your insights with how you do offers because i know there's an art awesome okay prepare for rant 206 of the podcast then and at persuasion experience we call these a golden hippo offer right like it needs to stand out and so most industries are like get a quote chat with us fill in a contact form and it's just lame and boring and it wouldn't persuade anyone to do anything one thing to be mindful of is in your marketing, you're always selling the next step. So when you're trying to get the lead, you're not necessarily trying to sell your product or service yet, right? Like you want to show that you do what they need and whatever, but really with the call, like you actually need to sell the value of the call. So that's your first golden hippo offer. And the second golden hippo offer is the way that you close and you get like you actually get them to sign up to the product or the service or whatever you have. And so what you want to do is with this call, you want to show them how you can give them value, whether they go ahead with you or not. You have to break down the friction and you have to make sure that the perceived benefit or value outweighs the perceived cost. And just because it doesn't cost them money, it still costs them time or it costs them maybe like like energy, like not everyone loves going on sales calls. I do most of the time because I like to see what people are doing good and bad. I think I might be one of the only people on the planet. Pretty much nobody wants to go on a sales call, right? So it needs to feel like they're going to get something out of it. And the way to do that is to one, understand that dream outcome of what they want to actually achieve. And then just call your golden hippo offer that, how to achieve X, or I'm going to help you do this. Then when we work with clients, like they're usually doing da stuff. So I'll say, what are you doing in your sales process already? What value are you already giving? And they're like, oh, we talk about this and this and this. I'm like, why don't you say that? Like you literally are solving people's problems on this call and you're not telling them. So then we start to get the bullets of what you get, the three to five bullets of the value. And then I'm like, okay, show me your proposal. I'm like, well, this is lame. So let's like, let's turn it into something. Let's turn it into something cool and valuable, but it's like disguised as a, like, like it's like something cool disguised as a proposal. Right. But they still are getting value. Cause if you, if you did a good enough job qualifying in the marketing, you did a good enough job qualifying in the sales process, you wouldn't send this out unless they're serious. So you, you should be putting in the effort at this point in persuasion experience. We call this your growth game plan. I'll show them their funnel because I know that a funnel map is useless without <laughs> the work that we put into it like mapping it out isn't hard it's it's the the stuff that goes into it and I'll tell them hey here's the channel strategy because we don't do ads we partner you with if you don't have an ad agency we partner you with them we're very big on building channels for diversification so we'll work on strategic partnerships outbound whatever 
and we'll just give that to them. And a lot of people don't want to do that. And it's like, well, okay, you're not going to succeed because you're not coming from a place of giving and a place of value. And then finally with the offer, you just want to quickly go and read Cialdini's big fat book, Persuasion, and understand the, the different elements of persuasion, right? The two that you can put in is urgency and scarcity. You probably, if you're a small business, you probably only actually take on a certain amount of calls or clients. For us, we only take on max one client a month. We're very boutique. My co-founder and I, we both work on everything. So we have genuine scarcity. It's not false. Like time is linear, unfortunately. So we have to adhere to the rules of time. And then you can do urgency and scarcity and reciprocity and all these other things. But it all starts with understanding back to bring us back to the start. What are you really selling? And then using the words of the target market to show them that you solve their problems and they're going to come off better than what they went in. Yeah, I think that last statement there about solving their problems is mm -hmm. just so, so important because you just talked about time and how limited everybody's time is. And, you know, time's the one resource we can never make more of. And so I think if you think about it in terms of that and not wasting people's time, using that as the filter starts you off, I think, on the right foot on getting them to say yes, which is the point of this point, right? And so I think I love what you said about, you know, oh, it's fill in a form or schedule a call or it's still putting more work on the target unintentionally, perhaps, but it's it's saying you do the work to get to me instead of I'm going to do the work to get to you and to get you ultimately what you need and what you're looking for. And I think the other piece is not being afraid to give away, quote unquote, some of yeah. the things. It's a lot of what we do too, quite frankly, is doing an assessment up front to say, here's the opportunity areas, point you made before, Alicia, about not being too critical or saying you're not doing it right, of course, but look, you have this, this, and this, this is how we can make it better, you know, or this is what we would go and do and not giving them the execution of it, but giving them enough that they're like, oh shoot, these people really could solve my problem for me. And I think not being afraid to do that is huge on all of our sides because you have to be brave enough to one, hand it off if that's mm -hmm. what they so choose or say goodbye to them if they're not the right target for you. But then also I think it can be freeing when you're giving them something that makes it really hard to say no instead of being fearful of giving away too much. I think that's just exactly the right way to approach it. And it also again puts it from the position of what your target is looking for as a human being because we all want people to take stuff off our plate, solve our problems, make our lives easier. I mean that's just that's a truth the emotional of being, thing. Yeah, that's the emotional piece. And so I think mm -hmm. we've talked emotion throughout all of this, but I think the contextualization with this this point is just really important and I would I would encourage people this is an episode I think you should go and listen to twice but especially the narrative around this point specifically and really thinking through how to change your mindset and to go do what's actually valuable yeah and the reality is like the clients that come to me and for probably most people listening they don't want to do it they don't want to spend 10 years building funnels and <laughs> launching them so like I'm, I, I can't actually physically tell them the how because they they don't actually care. And like, I don't have the time. So we tell them the what and the why, right? And so something that Todd Brown says in his, it's a book called E5 Method, if anybody wants to read it, awesome, awesome book, is sell on the system. If you sell the system, so we have a system, we called our business persuasion experience and not funnel 
do bro for a reason, right? Like we can call it funnels because <laughs> that because that like causes friction with bigger brands because they don't think that they need one. Persuasion experience is a bit mysterious. Like, ooh, what's that? And um, and then we sell them the system. We have our PX funnel system. We have a golden hippo offer. We have sniper messaging. Everything we do, we give it a name and it's like, oh, I want a golden hippo offer, but only one person in the world does it and I have to go to them to get it. So we do a lot of giving, LinkedIn, YouTube, and that brings people in. And when I'm on a like a sales call, people be like, oh, I was working on my golden hippo offer and I was mapping out my PX funnel. And I was like, yeah, you were like, that's awesome. Now let's see if I can take it over from here. And good try. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll go and and do it. And just to to quickly add, like if you come from a place of scarcity, your business will never ever grow. And the moment that your business hinges on making money from information, as soon as somebody sweeps in and is willing to give that information for free, like imagine if somebody sold a course on how to do funnel maps and now I'm out here on my YouTube, literally like here's how you build a funnel. I'll tell you how to do it because I know my clients don't have the time to do it. So I'm happy to help other people along the way. But as soon as like you gatekeep this information and that's what you make your money from, that's the moment like you do not have a competitive, like you do not have the competitive advantage that you think you have. That is so well said. Everything that you just said, everybody, I, I totally agree, needs to listen to again, because it's a really, really important point about, again, the value and what you can monetize with regards to the value that you're offering. And I think a lot of people miss that. And I also love what you said about having multiple offers. It's not about like getting the whole big thing sold in right at the initial point of entry. I, I call it selling the barn with the chicken. I knew it was coming. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> the analogy was coming. I, I mean, but it is, it's the same exact thing. Like you're trying to sell the chickens. And then when somebody has the chickens, then they're going to figure out they need a barn or a coop or whatever in order to house the chickens. It's like, let them kind of like go down the funnel with you. Right. So it's, it's a really strategic and a very smart way of being able to, again, court your, your target through without it being overwhelming, without it being such a pushy sales pitch, without it being like, I don't even know what to go do with that. So I love everything you just said about that. Now, our, our last point about how to create sales funnels that convert is having strong social proof. And Alicia, you you actually mentioned this early on, which I think is extremely, extremely important, is that your target is going to want to validate you. All right. So you need to make sure that the places they look reaffirm that they should actually choose you. You need to understand your target as a human. And that is a really, really important thing. So do you know that they're, where they're going to look? And this is part of answering those questions that we were talking about. It's like, where are they going to get hung up? Where are they going to challenges going to be? Where are they going to look for validation for that? Where are they going to look for their answers? It's not always going to be coming back to you trying to understand what you're saying. They're going to want to hear from other people so that they can corroborate what you're saying. So for example, I had just had somebody reach out to me suggesting that they could take all of our podcast content and they're going to splice it all up and they're going to share it across all of our platforms and they're going to triple our listeners, right? So that was what was in the email campaign, drip campaign I got. I was intrigued enough to say, I'm like, well, I wonder what this guy could do. I'm like, we have all those systems in place, but, and very, very good people managing the systems. So I don't want any of them to hear this and say, oh, we're like having our jobs at risk. That's not <laughs> the case. I was just kind of looking in. I was just kind of seeing, you know, did, can this guy put his money where his mouth is? Now, I can't verify how many listeners that this podcast that he was claiming that he grew. I can't verify that. That's just, and he knows that. That's one thing in the podcast world you just, you can't verify. But I can like go and see if he's a credible 
person for what he claims he's going to go do. So I did do that. I went to LinkedIn and I checked his LinkedIn out and I found that he hasn't posted hardly at all. So what that means to me is that, okay, he's using his LinkedIn as a lead magnet. He's using it as cold calling. He's not using it in a way that he's trying to build his credibility and reputation. So I was like, all right, well, I'm going to go check out his podcast. I got like two sentences into his podcast. I'm like, this is not a high quality podcast at all. So I'm like, how much does he actually really know the platform? How well does he know the actual art of creating podcasts? And then I checked his ratings and reviews and found that he only had like 20 and now they weren't all like five-star ratings. So I was like, okay, so now I'm left. I'm like, okay, your social proof just basically led me to believe that you're actually not as good as what you say you are because you can't even do it for yourself. Now, sometimes that's harder to do for yourself and, you know, granted we can't always shore up every single thing that we have about ourselves but if you're actually selling podcasting and selling podcasts like promotion you would think that that would be something that you would have very strong social proof on and to the point there was never an irresistible offer like i got four i think four emails from this person they were all just cascading uh, variations of let me tell you more about me let me tell you more about me oh here's my link to schedule a meeting with me they just, that's all he wanted. So he could get me on the, on the phone and hopefully he'd be able to sell me something. So that's one example of where I feel like the social proof was not very, very solid. So think about for what you're trying to sell, where do you think you're going to need to demonstrate that you know what you're doing in order for people to believe that they should choose you. Now that doesn't mean you need to be everywhere. And that's usually the thing that people refer to. It's like, oh, now I have to have a social and I have to have this and I have to have that. You may or may not need that and you may or may not have to be as strong as you think you might need to be based on your competitors or where everybody else seems to think that you need to be but you have to make sure that you aren't focusing your time and money and effort on the places that matter and not trying to spread yourself too thin which will actually delete your efforts but i can tell you that the one place everybody needs to be and they need to show up really really well is having as you had mentioned alicia you've seen a, a ton of crummy landing pages that is the one thing that needs to be shored up everybody needs to have a very solid brand-led landing page and it needs to be seo optimized in order to be able to just to even like play i think with the big boys and girls so Alicia, what is your thoughts there? Yeah, I think even just what you described with your situation, that's part of what we call the messy middle. That's what Google calls it, the messy middle of the funnel, right? Some people call it dark funnel. I think messy middle makes it sound less ominous, but it's <laughs> because like when people map out this funnel, they're like, okay, then the human will do this. Then they'll do this. Then they'll do this. The thing about us humans is we're batshit insane. So we don't do these perfectly <laughs> planned funnel paths. And I am the one who has had the most trauma and the most like humble reality checks about this. So trust me when I say that. So you need to assume like people are going to want to do their research about you before making people are already trained now that before making a purchasing decision, sometimes it's before they even buy a bloody toothbrush, they'll go and read the reviews on it, right? Like, so you better bet that before, before they invest thousands if not more with your business like you should just know they're going to look for reviews now it's easy to say just get reviews just set up a system to get reviews so in our systems we use ClickUp. we make sure that we get a testimonial as soon as the client's done then we upgrade the testimonial once we get the results but we're getting them already and then we have a system to put the case study on the side and the blah and the blah what you need to do though is when you're actually so i'm just going to assume you're, you're capturing the social proof you need to use the social proof with intent. You have to use it strategically. It is not enough to slap 
a testimonial slider where the testimonial goes for 1000 words and that's it, right? Like that is, that is not enough anymore. You should be leveraging this, this third-party irrefutable proof to come overcome objections or to show who it's for. As an example, on our landing pages, the best way that we use it is we will say, this is like the, the feature or the benefit, we'll explain a little bit and then we'll put a little excerpt from a customer underneath. And then it's like, boom, proof that, that we achieved that outcome. Or we'll say, who is this for? Because a landing page is just a digital salesperson, right? We'll say, who is this for? And then we'll put like, even if you think that coaches are crap and never going to help, I would put a testimonial there that says, at the start, I thought coaches were crap. And because you want people to see, you want people to see themselves in the, in the testimonials and the social proof. That's the whole point. So there's a lot of ways that you can use intent more creatively and more strategically than just ticking it off on a box. And also remember if people are looking for reviews to have that, to have, don't, don't call it success stories or something weird and wacky, write reviews, have it in your navigation or like case studies, if that's what they're looking for. Also, if you have enough search traffic and people are looking up company name reviews, make sure you're showing for that. Have a dedicated review page. So for example, we tried this out at Founder. Um, There are big course companies, seven, eight, nine figure courses. We would send traffic to Founder course reviews. It would be a dedicated page with all of our social proof on it. And then it would have call out panels to be like, hey, find your course, find your course find your course. And so people buy usually like based on like the proof that you can actually get them the result. And it doesn't just come from your mouth. Like it needs to come from people that they see themselves in. Yeah. I think this point very much showcases how much more savvier consumers and targets are today. And so they're much better at sniffing out inauthenticity no matter how they're being served up all this information. And I Mm -hmm. think the point about using people that are not yourself to give that proof is hugely important. I also think calling out who things are for and also who they are not for is really important. And I feel like a lot of people aren't brave enough to do that, right? Because they're afraid that they're gonna go and alienate people versus thinking, oh, well, if I'm contextualizing, it's for these people and not these people, it helps the people I'm targeting see themselves that much more clearly. And we actually Mm -hmm. had this success recently. We've launched fourth rate women as a spinoff to fourth rate people, really focused on empowering women that are rising through their career. And also in a lot of cases are moms because we have a lot of coaching clients where that becomes the focus. It's kind of like, how do I manage my life in total versus just my professional life versus my personal life? And some of the feedback that came back was, I opted in because I knew very clearly I was the person and I was not who you said it's not for. But then I also shared it company wide to show people how to actually craft a message that targets and then also says and not for. And it just the the feedback was that it was very refreshing because we went for it. Right. And so I think what a lot of times happens is it gets muddy because you're hedging. And you don't want to alienate on one side, but you don't want to be too specific on the other side. And so then you get that messy middle where people are like, well, that's kind of me, but it's kind of not. And I definitely wouldn't want that piece. So now what the heck do I do with it instead of making it easy for them? It's called strategy straddling. 
I, I read this in essentialism like this week and I was like, I have been so guilty of this where like you see another company <laughs> doing something and then you're like, I'm going to copy that, but I'm going to keep doing this strategy still. And it doesn't, it just doesn't work, right? Like you do need to be all in on a strategy. And when it comes to being afraid to like, you don't want to like repel people. That is the whole point of your marketing. <laughs> You're meant to be polarizing and repel the wrong people. There's over 7 billion people in this world. If you can't tell me that you can carve out a niche, like of very specific people with very specific pain points, you are wrong. And I will go to like, I'll die on the hill for that. You are totally wrong because you can just serve one niche and do it well. So yeah, I think that a lot of companies are afraid to be polarizing and afraid to push people away, but that's exactly the point of your marketing is to attract the right and repel the wrong. Yes. Yeah. And just to bridge that too, I think companies do that within themselves too. And if, if that's called strategy straddling, I'll call it capability straddling, where it's like, we can do it all. We can do this yes. and we can do that. And then their social proof mm-hmm. becomes like more of like a very diluted version of we can do everything that you need us to do. Just tell us. And actually that was part of one of our mistakes that we made very early on. It was like, if you need that, we can do it. You need that, we can do it. And then everybody's like, okay, yeah. but we're not sure what you are for then. Like, why would we need you? Or why would we use you? And it became a very hard way of being able to articulate, why do you want me? And so that became an exercise of really distilling down, well, who are we really, really for? It doesn't necessarily need to be on a demographic standpoint, like you had said early on, which is like, oh, we only serve like companies over a certain, you know, millions of dollars of or billions of dollars of revenue. And, you know, and you have to be, it, it's not that it's about like, what type of people, what kind of problems do they have that we can uniquely solve for? And that's what gets to that really like, nice connections that people start to really realize, oh, I need you. And so I think that I, I love what you had to say about that, because I think it really um, hits home about the um, the choices we need to make the discipline we need to have if you really want to thrive in your funnel otherwise you just start mm-hmm. looking like everybody else and what's the point of that yeah exactly and and we did it as well and we were like just in our first year taking on everything yeah we right. like, oh it's a necessarily it's a necessary evil you know we didn't over commit and then under deliver but and we didn't do SEO. No one worry. I have not been <laughs> left in charge of anyone's SEO. But we were like I was like I can solve that. And then I'll figure, like, I'll figure it out until we could figure it out. But then what we've done in the last quarter is look at, okay, well, what actually makes us profit? And so we were working on these dumb, dumb tasks that I could only do. Like it was very niche to my skill set. That's not building a business. That's building a job that doesn't pay me as much as my good job. I quit to build the business basically. (laughs) And so what we're thinking is like what you say yes to, you automatically say no to a lot of other things. And, and I think everyone has this problem and two resources, because I know we're going to start wrapping up soon. So you can just go read all of these books instead is read essentialism, mind blown, like the best thing I've read so far this year. And another one by James Schrenko, which is work less, make more or earn more. And that's a very simple step-by-step. It's a lot of stuff that I'd learned from like people like Dan Kennedy, whatever, but it's very like, do this and make more money because we all want to feel special and important and doing this busy work, right? But do you want to be productive or do you want to be effective? I want to be effective. And those two books have been really, really helpful in, in helping us to figure that out internally. That's fantastic. Thank you for those. 
All right. And our last segment is we generally highlight companies or brands that may, may or may not be using their marketing smarts. But obviously, since we have a guest, we believe Alicia is definitely using her marketing smarts. So what we'd like to do, just turn it over to you to kind of you know, kind of wrap this up for us. Is there anything else you would like to add that we maybe we didn't cover or we missed or any specific points you want people to take away? And of course, let people know where they can find you. Awesome. So the takeaway is your funnel is not optional. If you have a business, you have a funnel. Every touch point is your funnel. People go through three phases, attract, how, like where are you playing? What is the channel strategy that you're on? And how do you turn them into a lead? Convert, how do you turn that lead into a sale? This is your sales choreography and your sales enablement. And then your ascend. How do you make more money? What do you upsell into? What else can you solve after that, right? Because the more money you can make from each customer, the more you can spend to acquire. And that, my friends, is your growth flywheel. And all you have to do is map out every single touch point and then just start with the acquisition, like at, at the start, that attention and, and move down. Don't overwhelm it. But if you want to start somewhere, just survey your, your, your customers. I always say audience, like I'm on a game show, like, come on down, we surveyed, <laughs> we surveyed the audience and they said this about you. It is kind of like that because people are like, oh, really? I'm like, yes. Really, <laughs> this is why you got a two NPS and some person, like a hundred people have poured out their heart or something. So yeah, and if you wanna find, find more of me, we're currently working with tech startups who are wanting to get more leads and paying customers for their clients, for, for themselves, sorry. And you can head to persuasionexperience.com. You'll chat with me, no sales bros, I promise. And if we're a good fit, awesome. If not, I'll give you your growth plan free of charge and I won't hunt you down or send you annoying follow-ups. And on top of that, we put out a lot of information, both myself and my co-founder, Matt Craig on YouTube. Literally everything that I've ever learned, I just put it into YouTube videos. We're very, very forthcoming with our processes, systems, and what we do. And on LinkedIn, if you want to hear more rants, find me, <laughs> Alicia conlin -Hurd. I rant every day. I'm on my soapbox. So yeah, come on down. I love it. I love a good rant. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I mean, it's been just fabulous to have you because this just really made this topic so much richer and you give so, so much really great actionable feedback. So I'm sure our listeners are going to love it. And just to recap then, how to create sales funnels that convert. Don't let the data overshadow the fact that your consumers, customers, clients, or humans first. This is usually the problem when people get obsessed with traffic numbers and don't relate to them as humans. Second, be mindful where and how you use automation. It may be necessary, but make sure you aren't being tone deaf. Third, make it easy for your target to say yes. Determine your target's currency and use it to make an irresistible offer or offers, as we've learned. And finally, have strong social proof. Your target's going to want to validate you. You need to make sure that the places and the information on those places they, where they are looking reaffirm that they should choose you. And that will say go and exercise your marketing smarts. Still need help in growing your marketing smarts? Contact us through our website, forthright-people.com. We can help you become a savvier marketer through coaching or training you and your team or doing the work on your behalf. Please also help us grow the podcast by rating and reviewing on your player of choice and sharing with at least one person. Now, go show off your marketing smarts.